Welcome to Between Two Chairs, Demystifying Commercial Real Estate, the podcast that brings you the latest insights and trends on the South Florida commercial real estate market with your hosts, Fernando Arencibia Jr. and Jennifer Wolman. In each episode, we dive into the world of commercial real estate and break down complex concepts to make them accessible for everyone. Whether you're a real estate professional, a curious investor, or just interested in the South Florida market in general, Between Two Chairs is the podcast for you. So pull up a chair and join us. Well, who goes everybody. first? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, <laughs> to another episode of Between Two Chairs. With me, as always, is the incomparable Jennifer Woman. Jennifer, say something. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Okay, that's enough. Uh, today, we actually uh, are very excited for the show because yesterday we took a road trip to Jupiter. Um, and Palm Beach County, and uh, you know we we had uh, actually a very a very busy, exciting day. We were there for about 12, 13 hours, and uh, I thought today we will talk about some of the things that we experienced in all of our visits. And I think part of it for me, Jennifer, is this idea that you know everybody sees the world through their own you know their own goggles, as they say, and I think that in a lot of ways. When you're in the real estate industry for a very long time, you can't help but have real estate goggles on all the time. And so the way we experience going through a shopping center or an office building, visiting our doctor's office, <laughs> taking our you know families out to dinner, you know, we always are looking <laughs> at the entire ecosystem that we interact with, especially in commercial real estate through those eyes. And I think it's, it definitely is the case from our trip yesterday. I would agree. And I was thinking about it when we were talking about doing um, kind of our roadshow trip as an episode. I was thinking for us, this episode is going to be because even though we said that we focus mostly on Miami and South Florida, this is still considered South Florida by a lot of people. Um, Jupiter is a part of our realtor association at the Miami Association of Realtors. And when we discussed doing this, I was thinking, yeah, we can do this because it's very much like going on vacation and coming back with a trinket or something. <laughs> We're just coming back with real estate trinkets, which is knowledge of what we learned and saw up in a totally different market and yeah. what would be worth bringing back or comparing to, you know, the Miami market. So we, we started the trip up in Juno Beach. We have a client who just acquired um, 124,000 square foot shopping center that is anchored by supermarket Publix. Spent some time up there and, and get to experience the center. I think we both uh, came to the conclusion that the center was very well curated. You know, Correct. Um, and still allowing for a lot of opportunity for upside. Correct. It was interesting because it was on a corner, a hard corner right across from beach access, public beach access. They had two out parcels, one which they owned and one which they didn't own, both of which were vacant and previous bank 
branches with great drive-throughs. So we looked at the potential of those. We got a little history on the parcel that they do not own. Um, very interesting too, because it's that market up there is definitely a seasonal market. Like we used to say that Miami was seasonal. Miami, I don't think is that seasonal yeah. anymore, but up there it, it was very apparent that it was. So there were a couple of things that right off the bat stood out, which is if you look at the demographics for that area, it is an older, wealthier demographic. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of snowbirds, but if you looked at the mix in the center, it wasn't really right. So you had Publix and Walgreens were the main um, national tenants. Everything else was small mom and pop. So the clothing store was definitely aimed at the older demographic. But then there was a Kava bar, which we'll talk about that because I'd never heard of Kava bar before. And and there were several in, in a lot of the centers that we visited up there. But then there was also like the barefoot yoga, which again, I mentioned, I thought yoga, the only way to do yoga was barefoot, but there was a barefoot yoga place. There was a coffee shop. So there was a two J's, which we also have down here in South Florida and Coral Springs. So the, the mix was yeah. kind of a mix too. And then right. what, we found, you know, what we realized later is, well, duh, in the summer you get the young demographic, which is the high schoolers and the college kids that are going to the beach, right? right. So thought it was very, very well curated. They had some great local restaurants there that apparently attract a lot of people in the evening and during the weekends, especially in, during season. But even in off season, they do a lot to cater to the younger um, demographic that they have. There was a wine bar there that was super, super cool that yeah. is only open from five to 10. So again, they, they were knowing their market. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And then they had a ton of outdoor space, which if you're anywhere in the pretty much world right now other than London it's really really hot yeah. <laughs> but there was a lot of outdoor eating space and most of the people that were there wanted additional space there was yeah. one restaurant in particular where they were trying to find more outdoor eating so great trend to still be moving forward but yeah. um, those were some of the takeaways and then we saw in the back they had that really cool warehouse and yeah. they had an enclosed they had to enclose the loading dock and service area for the publics because yeah that back of service part of the center backs up directly to residential. Right. Which I'm sure, as I mentioned, the truck drivers really appreciate the fact that they get a little reprieve from the sun or, or from the rain, uh, which we have plenty of here in South Florida. Um, what I really found interesting is our, our clients are very uh, methodical in their approach and they like to study every angle. He's using Placer AI mm -hmm. to really understand that how there is a shift from a center that is mostly seasonal to a center where there is a lot of activity by the locals uh, that are visiting the center. And this dynamic of having an older crowd early in the day, but a, but a younger crowd, you know, late in the afternoon, I thought that was really interesting that, you know, he's looking at data to drive decisions, which I think is very important when you're running, you know, when you're trying to curate 125,000, roughly 125,000 square feet of space, especially when you have a large out parcel that is not what it was, which was a bank, 4,500 square feet, you know, but you have space for a drive-through. There's, you know, I mean, there's definitely, a, and I, th I think an F&B future. 
Right. And they agreed, right? They thought they they were thinking the same thing. And for the out parcel that they do own, that wasn't on the, you know, the hard corner, but was across the street from the parking from the beach. They were thinking of splitting that space up, doing a drive through Starbucks like and then on the other side, doing a a tiki bar. Right. For the people who want to come in. For those of you who haven't been to Miami beaches, we have amazing beaches, um, beautiful, gorgeous beaches but they're hot. We don't have many trees. You know, most of our beaches don't have trees. Um, so it's all pretty much if you need shade, you're going to, you know, bring your own umbrella and build it. Or you're going to go to your nearest shopping center um, when you start melting to cool off and grab a drink. You know, our clients invest all throughout South Florida. They they really like Miami. They looked up and down. They, they were wanting to make this, execute this 1031 exchange. You start looking at, could they have bought something like this in Miami or in Fort Lauderdale, you know, closer to Miami. You know, when we looked at it, it, it's not only the dynamics of the, you know, the financials of the deal, but it's also the lack of available options, right, in the marketplace. The size size and just nothing has traded, nothing of that size has, or very little has traded. um, Yeah, and when you do a 1031 exchange, you have a certain additional Mm -hmm. set of criteria that you have to meet that has to do with uh, the timing of executing that 1031 exchange and, uh, you know, and the opportunities that are available. So I, I thought it was really, you know, really, really interesting. I also enjoy that they had a pulse into the area. And I agree with you having those, you know, warehouse bays in the back of the shopping center, which, you know, it's it's a complete surprise. You have to drive to the back to actually realize that they're there. And the amount of demand, he's telling me, you know, right. Right. <laughs> you know I wish I had more because I have a long list of people and a waiting list to. Right. And it's not even just the shopping center. He said some of their tenants in the shopping center are paying a premium for that space, but people that just want the warehouse space near that near that area. So I'm thinking, you know, yeah. if you have any kind of boating type of business that you do out of the beach, mm-hmm. right? Like a paddleboard business or something. That, what a great, I mean, you're literally across the yeah. beach, right? Across the street from the beach. So I thought that was cool. The other thing that actually is coming to mind now that I think is very interesting about this group is... You know, one of the chats on, you know, hashtag retweet on Twitter is had the question, you know, if you specialize in an asset class, do you invest in other asset classes? And my answer was like, yes, I invest in asset classes that I don't particularly know about, but I do it as an LP. And in this case, this isn't how this family made their money. They made their money in a whole different industry. Yet when they took the money from the sale of their previous business, they blanketed the real estate sector. So they bought in Miami, they bought a warehouse, right? You you represented them on the warehouse. They bought the shopping center. They bought two office buildings up north. They bought a cattle ranch, right? So talk about diversifying and not sticking to one asset class. So I think, you know, it would be interesting to do an an interview or further discussion with them as to why or how they approached it and and everything else because it's not a big operation it's a you know it's a family business yeah, yeah. and we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about about them as we come along um and then we got a chance to to visit with our friend david abernathy uh with uh, waterfront properties up in jupiter he's so bright and smart and he certainly always, is always looking for ways to think outside the box and and to answer important questions and um 
aside from the fact that we had a great lunch, I thought it was really interesting, always thinking about the questions that we get asked most often. And so he says, so if you really think about it, the, the question that you get asked the most is, you know, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you're a real estate agent, the second question that follows up is how's the market? And then we started to break down exactly what what people actually mean by that. And especially when they're asking questions that are related to timing the market. And we've had we've done a couple of episodes on that and that I think apply to that, right. which were the qualifying questions yeah. episode and the buy low episode. Like, what does that mean? And that goes to the timing the market. And I thought. It was super interesting because you and I often talk about this and, and just Dave is a residential agent, yeah. but he his mind works like a commercial broker, right? right. Because yeah. he's all about the numbers. He's wicked, wicked smart on, on the residential numbers. I mean, yeah. he knows them inside out, top down, knows how to get them, knows how to get them fast, yeah. knows how to synthesize them in very quick, easy to use graphics. So, I mean... Yeah. From the residential standpoint, he's great, but we always talk to him because, the, yeah. you know, a lot of it's universal. And because his brain is so um, numbers oriented, we, we're like, OK, he's really a, a commercial broker, yeah. but so we can take a lot away. But sure. one of the things he said is so and he's speaking about his agents and when he's training them again on the residential side, it's when they're asked, well, how's the market? You know, he asks them, well, how do you answer? And you're like, well, it's great. It's a great time to buy. I know the interest rates are high, but they're only going to go higher. And he goes, OK, well, that's about you. And it's always about you. And you and I always talk about how whatever we do has to bring, bring value yeah. to the customer. Right. Yeah. So he says, so the real answer is like, well, why are you buying? When you do your qualifying questions, then when people ask you, well, is it the right time to buy? Well, it always depends on is it the right time to buy for the person asking the question? Yeah. Not regardless of what the market's doing. And he used that as an example. He's like, look, during COVID, a lot of people moved here because they were all alone up north. They wanted to be with their family. Their family decided they didn't want to be in an apartment in New York. They rented an Airbnb down here. They fell in love with it. They bought a little place. And so for the family that was left behind, the answer was yes, now is the right time to buy because it's the right time for you and whether the market goes up or down a little bit over the next couple of years or regardless of what interest rates are doing yeah. for you, it's the right time to buy. And I think that's what we're seeing in the market overall. And the same thing could be said. And we talked about this with the buy low yeah. about how sometimes the timing was just right for like with my investments to get into the market, even though we bought at the height kind of at the market. But if, if we hadn't done that, we never would have gotten into the market, right? Because right? when everything's bad and everything's crashing, you're not getting a loan like right now, right? Credit is tight. So yeah. if you waited to buy and you wanted to get in and now is the time that you're trying to get in, but nobody's yeah. lending then. Yeah. So anyway, he's, no. he's fascinated. I thought that was really interesting because he was saying, well, I asked an agent if it was a good time to buy two years ago, was it a good time to buy today? And it, the answer is always the same. Yes, it is a good time to buy. And, and he's, he was saying the most important, uh, you know, item in that equation is the individual that you're serving. It might not be the right time to buy for one person for the other. And it has less to do with the market conditions and more to do with 
the needs of the individual that is making that decision. So, I, you know, I thought that was really smart. I also thought it was really smart. Like, you know, he shared the story about an agent that had a 92% success rate in when he went to a listing presentation, you know, to get the listing. And so the agent thinks, well, if I go from 92% to 95%, then that should be my goal. And so he goes to Dave and says, Dave, I want you to help me do this. So Dave does a complete study and he goes, how often do you have an opportunity to be in front of people to make that presentation? So Dave says, well, look, if you increase the amount of at-bats, right, the amount of opportunities, you know, if I go from, if I am successful in getting you from 92 to 95%, you might have one or two extra deals a year, right? But if I increase that same percentage of the opportunities that you have to actually make a presentation, you have a 92% success rate, it's gonna work out. Now you're gonna have six to 12 extra deals a year, you know? And so right. that, I, I, I always appreciate that aspect of Dave, which is hyper analyzing the statistics to get to really what is gonna move the needle. And sometimes, you know, we don't do that enough in the industry. When I was a teacher, we would always analyze the results of the test. And then you have to assign responsibility. You know, sometimes it's, you know, do I have to throw the test out because the majority of people didn't learn what they were supposed to learn. So now it's it's really my fault as a teacher, right? Well, you know, it's as much an assessment on the students as it is on the teacher, you know? Right. And so I feel that that is a perspective that is applicable to any industry. It's very applicable to the real estate industry. And so whenever you have something that you might perceive as a failure, I didn't get the listing or I couldn't get the sold or, you know, it's an incredible opportunity opportunity for you to go back and reanalyze and see what you could have done differently, what could have worked. And the experience is really, you learn more through the things that don't go right. So I thought that that was, you know, a, a really interesting component. And then we took a drive to an area that we really didn't know much about, but that um, Avanti Way Capital and the Avanti Way team is developing this new project in an area called Lake Worth Beach which, you know. We, yeah, we'd heard of was, Lake Worth. Right, right. we I never, you know, I really didn't hear of Lake Worth Beach. And um, it, it, it was interesting, you know. The development is called Deco Green. It's a rental community. They're developing 127 rental residential units. It's about 116,000 square feet the, of space for rent. There is an office component of 1,900 square feet um, and 6,800 square feet of retail. I also like the fact that they have almost 20,000 square feet of like a public area. Right, um, right. And I think it's going to be very complementary to the area. There's already a new development there that we saw. Directly across uh, the street. Directly, yeah, adjacent to it, right? Uh, MD, right. The MD apartments, I think it's called. Um, so, you know, and, and we were really pleasantly surprised with the area. It's an area in transition, right? Um, the houses, you know, they have a lot of cute homes and right. a lot there of well-maintained. There was a little historic district, very right. small homes, small yeah. single-family yeah. homes with some Spanish-style, beachy-style yeah. cottages. And it reminded me a lot of the Mimo district down here in Miami yeah. where the yeah. I didn't see any hotels. We didn't drive too far up or up or down, but yeah. the style and the feel was very much like the Mimo district went, you know, before or around the time when Average Jane bought the Vagabond Motel. Yeah. And now, you know, that's changed. It's been slow in coming, but you have a lot of really unique shops and stores and you can see where 
there was a ton of stuff for sale. Yeah. There were a lot of vacancies, so that's where you can see the the change the change taking place. And a lot of the older buildings were being updated and painted and yeah. impact resistant windows and everything else. So, mm-hmm. yeah, very very interesting area and again, got to see another part of South Florida that don't know that is going to be fed heavily by the growth that's going on in Palm Beach, right? Tons of growth in Palm Beach and West Palm Beach. And here's this little pocket that that um, is already starting to see development. I think it's a really interesting, <laughs> it's a really interesting location. I think it has a lot of future, you know, upside. It looks like there's a lot of opportunities. Now, this might not be applicable to this area. We were having a conversation about a client of yours who once told you that I invest in the border of scary. And right. I thought that was, <laughs> I mean, what a cool line. Not a client. Uh, she's a, she's oh, okay. a commercial agent oh, in, okay. in Texas, in Austin, Texas. And she's uh-huh. also an investor. And um, Delia Becker, otherwise known as Badass Bitch. Um, and she's amazing. And I don't know if I can say that on a is podcast, but it's our podcast. Well, it is so our podcast. I mean, you know. um, but uh, she's amazing. And um, she says that, you know, she invests in the border of, of scary. And, and for her, that's just means that she invests in an area that she's not quite comfortable in because she knows it's changing and she feels a little bit scared about putting her money in, but then she sees a vision and sees what's coming. And, and she says, you know, she's invested in safe before I'm sure. But, um, but anyway, that's kind of what it is. And, and if I think about back way back when I remember a girlfriend and I fell in love with what is currently the Edgewater district. (laughs) And I remember trying to get investors to go there. And for those of you don't know, the Edgewater district in Miami is right off of um, Biscayne Boulevard and it fronts Biscayne Bay. We used to go down there, you know, my stepmother got badly mugged down there and was actually put in the hospital. And my husband worked down there, but I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like so close to downtown. It's right on the water. They had beautiful, old, dilapidated, but old Spanish buildings. And I was telling my girlfriend, we need to get investors in here and buy up these blocks. Everybody thought we were insane. And the reason everyone thought we were insane is because it was a scary area. There was nothing much going on. There was, there was, you know, a lot of crime, nothing happening after dark, no place to shop, no place to walk. Um, And I remember sending my husband by a property because we couldn't get a hold of the broker and I said, I think we wrote the number down wrong. And he went by and he goes, I think you gave me the wrong address because there's no way that you'd be looking to buy down here. And I'm like, yeah, that's the house. He's like, no, it looks like a crack house. I'm like, that's the house. And then, of course, we got a lecture about what, you know, my girlfriend and I were doing, driving around down there. But anyway. Let me let me tell you something. Um, FIU has uh, a group called the Real, Real Estate Alumni Affinity Council. And years ago, years ago, we did a tour of with a couple of investors in Edgewater. And this is when Edgewater was getting a lot of attention. Every investor had discovered it. There was already a transition happening because of Midtown, because of the design district, because of everything that was in its surrounding space. The big big development that happened in Midtown, you know, the Midtown shops Mm -hmm. there had already gone up. So, and I spoke to one of the investors who owned three buildings there. And he goes, yeah, it looks right now. It looks like, wow, 
I hit it big. It looks, you know, I, I see the way you're seeing this investment. What a prime location, all stuff. But I've been at this for 10 years and I've been through a lot of, you know, rough patches. Right. Right. It's, it hasn't been easy to, to manage all that stuff, especially because they were multifamily. He says, maybe I came in too early. Right. But definitely has been the right investment. And I know that usually what investors are looking for is they're looking for the rewards to be commensurate with the risk. So they look for a very large cap rate to be commensurate with what they're gonna have to deal with. I thought that was a really interesting, uh, you know, we, you know, he kind of brought everybody into Back to the reality. reality like. right. And that's true. I mean, you, you could say the same thing about Tony Goldman when he was buying in Wynwood and the Dacra companies when they were buying in the design center. I mean, the design center yeah. is what it is today, but I remember in the 80s when, yeah. when you know, again, they still had some of the design shops down there and they were trying to create it in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And I remember I had a customer who, you know, she's a very well known designer, Adriana Hoyos, and she was looking, she's yeah. out of Ecuador and she was looking at putting something here. And I remember back then taking her there and she's like, yeah, no. And now she's there and she loves it, but it's taken them a long time. And to your yeah. point, you know, that whole time, yeah, they might have bought really low, but I'm sure there was a lot of time where there was no income or very little income. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, just to give people perspective that don't know the story of the design district, but when Dakra begins to buy in the design district, these office and retail uh, stores, you could rent a retail store for $6 a square foot. Right. You know, now they're over $125 a square foot. Right. But, you know, that's two. 20 years and that's a, a purposeful investment in an area. Kudos to them because yeah. Dakra, it's the design center is one of my favorite spots in Miami because, you know, first of all, very high end retail, um, again, not a shopper, but every single building is unique. And, you know, my, my Florida in general, when I first moved here from California, we developed so rapidly, basically, since air conditioning was invented, right? And we became, as far as I was concerned, we were one strip mall from Key West all the way up to Orlando. And now the cities are starting to transform. And as the cities are incorporating and breaking away from counties, they're becoming a little bit more intentional in their zoning and their development. But the design center was DACRA's vision. They had a vision for what it was going to become. They were extremely patient, extremely intentional. Yeah. And Every single retail store down there is totally unique. Super, super cool. So, and, and I think part of it is that, you know, Craig Robbins, you know, this is his vision. He is Dakra. And, you know, the fact that he is an art collector and that he appreciates architecture. And, you know, you could really look at that area and go like, talk about putting your thumbprint into, you know, a, a few city blocks within the right. city of Miami and creating right. something that is you know, in your vision and who would have really had that vision 25 years ago. Right. right. Or, uh, or the, or the staying power. So let's get back to our yeah. road trip. Cause we digressed, well, which we, is fine because the best part. I know that's yeah. why I want to get there. I know. I know. <laughs> so we, you know, earlier on we're at the shopping center in Juno beach and our client tells us this story about a pizza place that is in a um, gas station right in the corner. And he's telling me, we're, we're trying to get him to see if he wants to come over this way because it's an incredible story. And he tells us the, you know, this story that is 
for, first of all, phenomenal pizza, but it was discovered because David Portnoy of Barstool Sports, he does this one bite pizza uh, evaluation. You know, I'm, I'm sure you guys uh, have I've seen him, I've heard, of, I've heard of him. He goes to this place and loves the pizza and gets behind the scenes and gets the story. And so this guy kind of blows up. And so Jennifer heard pizza, heard the best pizza, and she was like, okay, we got to get that pizza. It's 11 a.m. And, le and let me just yeah, fast please. forward. So it's 11 a.m. And one of the reasons for our road trip is because we were going to a pizza making class that night to raise money for our pack, the realtors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so he's like, you're going to have pizza at 11 a.m. when we're going to a pizza making class. And I'm like, yeah. And so, <laughs> so we go and I'm all excited because you all you see is this tiny little sign that says Willie's in black and white on the side and of the of the back of a shell, like where you would park to go into the convenience store. But then it says open at one o'clock. Right. So we're like, OK, we're going to go and come back. So we went down to Fort Worth Beach, right. come back at one o'clock, closed <laughs> until three. So we're like, okay, let's go. I can't remember. We went and did something else. and But I, I just had pizza on the brain because now I'm obsessing and my mouth is watering. And yeah. all I can think about is this pizza. <laughs> Get back at three. There's a line. Willie's behind the counter, totally ignoring everybody. Finally, he goes, people, I'm not opening until 3.30. And I'm like, okay, so let's go back. So we went back. That's what we did. We went back to the shop, Scott. Right. Fernando his coffee because we always have to check out every single <laughs> coffee spot and checked out two J's to see how different you know this yeah. great Jewish deli is um, from you know how different yeah. it was very similar menu from the one in Coral Springs and go back at I think we got there at like 345 and now there's a line, a bigger line, and he continues to ignore me and I'm sitting there watching him make pizza and he tells me to go sit down. Fernando's like, I'm just going to wait in the car. And I'm like, Fernando's going to be waiting in the car a long time. So he, this guy totally ignores me. I'm watching him make pizza. There's no menu. So I have no idea what toppings they have, but Fernando and I had already decided we went back and forth between cheese or cheese and anchovies. And I'm like, come on, I have to get anchovies if there's if I'm with somebody who likes anchovies. anchovies. Since he tells me to wait, I'm talking to the people in line. They're like, oh, is this your first time? I said, well, it's my third time here today, but my first time trying to get a taste of this pizza. So they're all telling me how they've been fans. One of them has been a friend of his for like 12 years. So they're telling me the whole story. And finally, he's like, lady, you're up. So I go up there. I tell him I want an anchovy pizza. And he's like, OK. And he's like, you need banana peppers on your pizza. I'm like, eh, I'm not sure my partner wants banana peppers. He's like, you have to. It's my favorite. And everyone in line's going, you have to get it, that anchovy. And I'm like, how many people here like anchovies? And they're all like, not our favorite, but this is good. So anyway, so I order it, but not for anything. It is the best pizza I've ever had in my life. Oh my and so I had never heard of Dave Portnoy until... Right. I guess about a couple months ago, one of the women in our investment group used to work for a pizza chain from New York and they were expanding and she yeah. was she's an amazing broker and she was getting them great spaces and everything. And I guess David came down and did a review and it wasn't a very good review. And so the owners freaked out, stopped expanding, you know, fired the the broker, not because of anything she had done wrong, but just. Right. And then I'm like, who is this? This guy, that one review from this guy can not only cost somebody their job, which I mean, that happens to brokers all the time, but can make a company totally change their yeah. 
so anyway, that was so. This was the second time I've heard of him, and I had I hadn't researched him or anything. But well, look, what I love is, uh, guys, this is not like a Wawa or like a Bucky's. Okay, <laughs> you gotta understand, this is a small shell gas station like with a bus. Pumps. Yeah, there's like six pumps, I think, or maybe four. Yeah, there might have been only four pumps. Small gas station. This guy is inside of the gas station behind a counter making pizza. He's been making pizza for over 45 years. Okay, he came down from New York. Uh, he's originally from Colombia. And he realizes, what does everybody say about New York pizza? It's great because of the water. So in his home, in his home, he builds this water treatment system, right, to and make sure that he gets the water to be with the same, you know, chemistry as the water in New York. And every day he brings that water from his home into this gas station to make, you know, an incredible pizza. You know, I want you to just Google David Portnoy, Willis Pizza in Juno Beach, and you're gonna get the entire story. And what I love is when David tells him, you know, I, I know you don't know who I am, but I'm gonna blow you up. You're gonna have a lot, you're gonna be busy. And his hands is like, well, I don't know. I mean, it's only me, I only got two hands, I don't know. <laughs> and it's funny because I was talking to the people that were in line that have known him for a while, and they're like, oh yeah, he used to offer calzones and strombolis and all this other stuff, and now all he does is pizza. So I'm like, you know, I, I obviously wanted to come see you, not because of Dave's review, but because our client across the street had said something. Yeah. And then, which was weird, because that's a whole nother story. So then I run into the dad who we hadn't yes, met before. You, um, you hadn't met him before. Yeah, I hadn't <laughs> met him before. And so anyway, so I'm talking to him. I'm like, yeah, I came at 11. He's like, oh, I don't open at 11. I said, well, I came at one. He goes, yeah, today I was really, really tired. <laughs> so I slept. I was talking to his friends and he, no, he doesn't hire anybody. It's his pizza. It's his way. He makes it with love. And it's funny. He's he's a Colombian, but he's really a New Yorker. Yeah, yeah, his no, attitude and everything. And it was hilarious. Now, I, I loved the guy and he was yeah. hilarious. He made me eat the pizza there. So poor, well, poor Fernando's still in the car and I'm chowing down on this pizza like, oh, my God, this is right, the best was, thing uh, I've ever had. I will. I will say this. It was, you know, an amazing pizza, an incredible story. And anybody would love to have him in a shopping center, you know, yeah. and he probably will never move out of there. Right. Because he wants to control the quality of the pizza he wants to do it himself he wants to do it his way uh he doesn't want to have his store hours, hours. he right? wants to do his hours i knew we were in trouble when i saw uh you know the opening time and then the the time was written in pencil so he could erase it and go no now 3 30 you know we're there at three o'clock he goes guys it's going to be another half hour <laughs> just you know we're just not and ready to your point you yeah. know your customer wants him and he was talking about about yeah. him moving next door that he owns the shopping yeah. center and that's how I said are you Alex's right. dad but um and then we got in a whole conversation yeah. but so I was thinking you know to the, your point so imagine if he did open his own tiny it could be small right yeah. his own tiny little shop and he doesn't do slices by the way so you have yeah. to buy the whole pie which right. you're gonna want to buy the whole pie anyway maybe too no but so he wouldn't have to schlep his water. I'm sure he could convince them to well, put in the right. water treatment exactly. system and all that. But then if he if he gets too well, big. Well, I thought about the same thing. There's a couple of little places where he can have the water system. He doesn't have to do all that right. stuff, you know. Um, but I'm sure he's going to want to have in his lease that I'll open whenever I want. I'll yeah. close whenever I want, you know. Yeah. Uh, super, super. Yeah, that was super cool. That was definitely the highlight of the trip. And I know I'm going to be obsessing. No. And just so I you do know, say every this. time we go to 
Orlando. I'm going to make you stop. Oh, by listen, there. yeah, I'm I'm game. I'm game. It's gonna, we're going to take an hour because we don't know if we're going to, you know, we might get lucky. We might not get lucky. For those of you who are Seinfeld fans, you know, you've heard the, about the soup Nazi. So he goes, you know, they call me the pizza Nazi because, you know, he'll tell us people, no, 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 that doesn't go like that. You got to you got to have it with these toppings you have to have and you got to have my, my garlic sauce and you got to I make it with love every two days. And you got to uh, what I found funny is, you know, our last stop on the trip was at Double Roads. And it's this great, so you know, cool. beautiful, great place, which is owned by a, a local operator. It is a great restaurant and bar and, and, and has also a really funny pizza making. Uh, you know, the chef, the chef was was very affable. He was he was a great guy. And um, so, you know, we're there to do this fundraising for, for our pack, the, the Realtor Political Action Committee. And what I found really interesting is, you know, in this event is, you know, they have a, a, a private area that had a speakeasy, but you know the space is really big and i'm trying to place it you know it, it kind of looks a little familiar and uh it used to be an outback right. right and then outback leaves and a local operator comes in and then creates a really great environment and very supportive of local artists so he's got a lot of musicians that come in every night it looks like a very local crowd emily line if you're ever in the area you have to go all vinyl records and they sell them yes absolutely super cool it, it was a really 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 cool place but what i love is you know we're telling the story and not everybody knows the story about willie and we're telling them you know and everybody's giving us a hard time like you went to eat pizza when you're about to make pizza and i was like yeah and uh, i think it was uh I, I think it was kim a great great agent in you know in the jupiter area and she goes oh the, oh, the pizza nazi <laughs> yeah yeah he's he's definitely a local favorite and everybody knows him and yeah. just to go back to double roads because it's a cool yeah. story and th that's something that's so cool about up there and i think as commercial practitioners we have to be very very careful when we're leasing space and a place becomes successful because a lot and i'm thinking of lincoln road versus right. like this this area um, of Juno Beach. What made Lincoln Ro Road so cool way back in the day and people would stroll it and everything else was the fact that there were so many local unique shops and artists and everything else. And all of a sudden it just became a mega chain corridor, right? So it went from cool individual boutique shops and artists, um, art galleries and, and local stores to Apple, The Gap, Zara, mm -hmm. stuff that you can find anywhere. And the rent skyrocketed, so the locals left. And what gave that road character wasn't the fact that it was just an open, traffic-free, yeah. brick-lined walking mall. It was the fact that it had such cool, individual, unique stores. So I think that that was, um, I think that's something that we need to look at. I, you know, I do worry a little bit about Wynwood. I think they're doing a good job curating that, but yeah. it would be so sad if a lot of those local places, there are some chains, yeah. but if a lot of the local places, and again, Wynwood's an incubator, you know, for a lot of our FMB. And if all of a sudden that was to leave, then it would lose that flair. And all of a sudden you're going to be at the highest rents and only the corporates can come in. That's like my little warning out there to all the retail, yeah. Yeah. to retail owners and investors and brokers to please remember the characters, what built the yeah. space and, and what keeps it successful. And now Lincoln Road is having to reinvent itself once again. Then we have come to the place 
that ends all of our uh, episodes yes. and which is your stat of the day. So yes. I am very concerned that you and I may have gotten the same stats. I, I have no idea. We never know right. each other. We don't even talk about it, but I am deathly afraid that I'm going to let you go first, that you're probably going to have the same information I got. I know. It's, it's, so Fernando and I are, you know, we're, we're like work spouses. So we, <laughs> we tend to think the same. We have a lot of similar, not similar ideas, but all of a sudden something will pop up in our head. And for the first time, I think a couple of episodes, he literally had the exact same stats. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. And the stats had nothing to do with what we were, what our episode was right. about. So that was really Scary. scary. Like I felt like he sure. he looked. At me. So I'm going to talk about pizza stats. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I'm going to talk about pizza stats. So um, Americans consume about three billion pizzas each year. They prefer thin crust, 61 percent. That results in about 350 pizza slices per second. And in Florida, there are a total of 2,823 pizza restaurants. So they probably don't have Willie's in there because by any stretch of the imagination, that's not a restaurant. But as of July of this year, there are a total of 2,823 pizza restaurants in Florida. You had me struggle now because I was going to give the exact same stats. I don't <laughs> but thank you, Google. I'll show it to you. All right. For this. So. To go further into the pizza sets, the state that loves pizza the most is Connecticut, where there are three pizza stores per capita. Okay, I can attest to, there's great pizza in Connecticut, I can attest to that. Uh, the state that dislikes pizza the most, Hawaii, where there's only one pizza store per capita. Oh, Hawaiian pizza is, you know, a, a bastardization of pizza. <laughs> Ooh, I just said something. Words. Those are funny words. I know, I know, I know. I know, I know, I know, I know. That's so. true. I lived in Hawaii and I never had a Hawaiian pizza. But going back to Kava, I had never heard of Kava. We looked at yeah. We looked at Kava because there were we looked up what Kava was. So I'm not going to yeah. spoil do a spoiler alert here. You guys just have to Google right. Kava if you don't know what it is. Um, but supposedly it's a big drink in Hawaii, and yeah. I I never had it or heard of it. Yeah. I you know poi yeah right. poi bar maybe, yeah. but Kava bar no. No, really interesting. It's it's a it's an interesting concept that is uh, you know making its way to to your local uh, shopping center. Well, guys, thank you again for joining us on on this other episode. We this. Road trip. This was like a little bit of a potpourri of different, you know, stops uh, along the way. But, you know, we wanted to share it with you guys. And as always, thank you for pulling up a chair and listening.